All right, is this better? I think so. Hopefully. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. By the way, speaking of candidates, and I'm going to play this clip, the, the momentous clip that now has been, I think, largely misquoted and sensationalized by the media. DeSantis claiming Trump lost the election. Well, yeah, I mean, technically, right? He's not president right now. Uh, but he goes to great lengths to explain why the election was flawed. Nonetheless, I want to point out this too. Vivek Ramaswamy had a piece that came out in the Wall Street Journal. And this was this was interesting because uh, now that Ramaswamy is gaining traction in the polls, he's getting more scrutiny. And they're going through and looking at his, his voting record in particular. This is uh, this is interesting. So he d- didn't vote Republican for a number of years. That's one of the issues that the uh, journal points out. It, by the way, it, I don't know if it didn't vote for McCain, didn't vote for Romney. I don't know if in 2024 that's a big black mark for a uh, potential conservative Republican uh, nominee for president. So, um, I, I, again, I I sort of look at this and I think, I think uh, still a young guy. How he voted, uh, perhaps less important. Remember, Trump, I believe, voted Democrat a few elections. So, it's, it's, listen, this is um, th- there will be greater scrutiny. There's no doubt. They also talk about some kind of a diversity statement that he signed. Um, so there's there's some stuff coming out. So this was the clip that DeSantis. Uh, where, where Dasha Burns at NBC asked DeSantis to clearly say uh, whether or not he was, in fact, in fact, believed that that uh, that Trump lost the election, and um, and this was this was this was the exchange. Okay, but respectfully, you did not clearly answer that question, and if you can't give a yes or no because on whether or not Trump lost, then how? Well, can of course, you... no. Of, of course, he lost. Uh, Trump lost the 2020 of, election. Of course, okay. uh, Joe Biden's the president. But the issue is, I think, what, what people in the media and elsewhere, they want to act like somehow this was just like the perfect election. So I don't think uh, it, was a, it was a good run election. But I also think Republicans didn't fight back. You've got to fight back when that is happening, and you shouldn't have provided all the money to fund the mail-in ballots. Absolutely. There it is. So um, I hope Republicans are taking note, and I hope that the party – has a plan now you, you know i mean he, he's i mean by the way specifically in the clip i played just last um, last um, uh, two segments ago here top of the hour um he, he the clearly says mentions nevada there's ballot if there's a state that has ballot harvesting that's allowed like in nevada we need to do it as well and this election more than any other prior election cannot rely simply on a charismatic magnetic personality though it certainly doesn't hurt right and trump's own you know certain amount of gravitational pull that he has is 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 his power but he, he can't rely on it strictly now i had a interesting conversation with my sister over the weekend who um 
is like-minded politically, uh, but uh, maybe not as steeped in politics as I am. And it was a passing comment that she made, and I, I want to share this with you. Because what we were, I don't know, we were talking about, I, we were talking about the election. And her kind of thing that she said is that I, I'm just kind of really sick and tired of hearing about all of this Trump indictment talk. It's just getting boring. Now, she didn't say exactly boring. I forget, ex- I, I'm misquoting it. But her point, her larger point was that her interest in hearing about this, even on conservative media, was, was, was very low. And it got me thinking, and I'd been thinking about it ever since, until, believe it or not, this morning, I go on Axios.com, and I, and I find this piece. I, it's the numb to Trump was the, was, the, was the headline. And I thought, okay, numb to Trump. Data shows drop in scandal interest. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Welcome, friends, to the second hour here of the What's Right Show, hosted by me, Sam Rajofsky, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. Pleased to be here with you. Hopefully, the second hour goes a little smoother than our first. Apologize for the technical difficulties. All right. There is a video. I want to share this with you very quickly in case you haven't seen it. Uh, Perhaps, Lakin, could we uh, put this video up on the at what's right show instagram uh yeah so we'll put it up in stories there, there's a a video going around the internet of a couple of uh, owners employees couldn't really tell in the video at a 7-eleven who uh, there's a guy that you see these videos all the time by the way a guy who comes into the store and begins just brazenly stealing things off the shelf now, as he's stealing everything that he can get his hands on, they finally come along. The owners have had enough, and they, they kind of knock him to the ground. And one guy holds the thief down while the other takes a long wooden pole and begins smacking him on his legs and his upper torso. And uh, I don't know. Okay, I, I saw this over the weekend. It went viral. And I think the reason it went viral is not because of any outrage, because everybody had a very similar response to it that I did, which was good. I passed it around at family uh, family lunch. Uh, it was a Saturday, and I and I said, uh, if this happened every time some Yahoo went into a store and began looting it, uh, we would have uh, uh, the 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 you know property crime account would be start going down. And it was kind of people mostly at the table agreed that it was a, a nice come up. And by the way, they weren't hacking him to death. They didn't shoot him. They just, they just hit him with poles, with a pole. And it didn't look like he was. And then finally, a guy kept going, "Ow, ow, ow!" And then he gets up and leaves. Anyway, 
turns out that this happened in Stockton, Stockton, California, which is a a city uh, kind of in central California. It's east of uh, east of San Francisco, west of Fresno. Uh, it's a city that is in per- perennially in bankruptcy. A uh, bit of a bit of a eh, bit of a dump, if you have to really know. But Stockton, anyway. So the police there, apparently, according to the Daily Mail, are investigating. Cops are probing the Sikh. Yes, they appeared Indian in the video. Now they're telling us they're Sikhs. 7-Eleven owners for assault after they beat the brazen thief stealing cigarettes from their store. Apparently, the thief had had been to the store two other times and threatened to shoot staff a day before. So now they're getting investigated. This is what happens in America in 2023. First, in places like California, places like Stockton, first, the police don't show up when you call them. When they show up, they don't have the ability to necessarily arrest or charge or keep people in jail for very much property theft under $950 in California. You're you're, you're not getting a citation. He has no fear. So who's supposed to take it over and over again? The business owner. So the state has created an environment that incentivizes theft, incentivizes blatant, uh, open stealing and thievery. So there is is that. And then what, what happens is when you fight back as a business owner, they come and they try to charge you. You remember... Some months ago, there was a a, a situation in a in a uh, I believe it was a CVS or maybe it was a a, a Walgreens it might have been a Walgreens in San Francisco where it was a black security guard that shot a and killed ultimately a um, a thief who who was getting violent for with him at the entrance and the guy shot him and and by the way the story did not get a lot of press outside of San Francisco in part because of course this was there wasn't a racial component to it right. If both people had been white, it was the same thing, right? I, I, it would have been, yes, it would have been different if the guard, the, the, the shooter were white and the victim were a minority. So I, that's, that's how the news cycle works in this country, unfortunately. It didn't, get a lot of, it didn't get a lot of coverage. And I don't believe that guy was ultimately charged. I think he was, the DA uh, declined to press charges. Uh, but I think there was a confrontation that led to the, the perceived... Uh, you know, threat of bodily of harm against the security guard, and the security guard shot to protect himself. But this is just a nice little beating that this guy got, and it. I, listen, you can't you can't give crooks open season tickets on store owners and not expect store owners to fight back. You can't do it. Oh, producer Robbie found it. Yes, yes, this, yes, this is it. In the Walgreens in April, that's what it was. The victim uh, was a transgender. It was a transgender man, Banco Brown, and he was suspected of shoplifting. Apparently, the um, the security guard had to pay fifteen hundred dollars in violations. Okay, so that's 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 that. There's some violations, but that's this. But this is different. 
So this guy's get these guys. I feel I feel terrible for these business owners. And and again, what would you do if you had a business and people just came in day after day after day and were robbing you blind, just stealing up to nine hundred dollars from your store shelves, and just the police would come and write the guy a ticket, and and that would be that. He could just come back two hours later and do it again. How powerless and defenseless do you feel? Would you feel as a business owner in an environment like that? Now, here's the good news. Democrats also making it easier for them to steal money. In fact, large sums of it. And that's really starting to be the story here that's coming out from um, Devin Archer, former business partner of Hunter Biden. Now, you know, they were operating their consulting business, Rosemont Seneca Partners. They were um, shaking down various companies, getting money from them, and selling access to the then vice president of the United States. The amount of money involved is quite large. One particular moment that's fabulous. So this was the part two. I played a a few portions of part one last week. Tucker Carlson's sit-down interview with Archer. And... One of the things that they he asked him about, and this is just I'm just starting out with the, the the little fun thing. They talk about gifts, right? These companies would give gifts to people, uh, particularly to Archer and to to Hunter Biden, and perhaps maybe we'll find out later even to the vice president himself. And here's one of the here's this exchange about gifts. Tucker asks about gifts. And what they might consist of. What about gifts? And this is a part of the world where people give gifts. Right. And those gifts are a kind of non-taxable payment, you could argue. You could argue. You could argue. Uh, were there gifts? Uh, there were, there was, yeah, there were some birth, birthday gifts. A watch. Watch. A watch. Just Timex kind of watch or? No. <laughs> what was the watch? I believe it was a, a Hubolt. A Hubolt. I'm, I'm not actually sure. I shouldn't even say that. But I, I don't know. But I know there's a birthday gift. Um, so a, a watch like that would cost like ballpark, you know, fifty to a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, so a real gift, a real gift, me- meaningful, meaningful, <laughs> a real gift. You know, I've been following Joe Biden a long time. You know, he he was the guy that rode Amtrak to work, rode Amtrak. You know, he was Scranton, Pennsylvania. Aw, shucks. And then all of a sudden, Joe Biden started showing up wearing Rolexes. So I'm a watch guy. By the way, it's not Hugh Bolt. It's Hublot. Anyway, I'm a watch guy. I like watches. I know what these things are. I understand their, their cost. I'm not going to say value, but their cost. And I, I, when, when he shows up with a $35,000 watch on his wrist, I go, okay. Wow, the vice presidency's really paying big money. Did who bought his book? Does he even? Have, I don't know. Joe Biden doesn't even have a book. He probably does have a book. Who bought the book? Like, how did he make this money? His wife is in education. Like, where's this coming from? Did your family grow up with with you know with with a beach house and multiple homes? Is that is that normal? I didn't. And that's only sustainable. Forget the cost of acquisition, even upkeep, all of that, insurance, utilities. I'm t- it's not happening on his salary alone is my point. 
So the I the, the amount of cash here. Well, it's just a birthday gift. Here's a hundred thousand dollar watch. Birthday gift. It only got worse from there. I'll give you more of this when we return. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. Welcome, friends, uh, back to the What's Right show. Sam Rajovsky here. Um, yeah, this, 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 this stuff here is is fascinating. With Joe, by the way, Joe Biden. I made a mistake here. Apparently, he has published a few books, couple of books. They just were not on my radar. Uh, the best one here is 2018. Uh, in the description of the book, this is a book written. It's called Let's see, Joe Biden. That's the name of the book uh, called Promise Me, Dad. This is a book written not just by the president, but by a father, grandfather, friend, and husband. Grandfather, the family man. Yes, fabulous. Okay, I'll keep my snide remarks to myself. I, apparently, he has now acknowledged his seventh grandchild, so. And here's what I'm getting at. I played that clip about watches. Not clear who got the $100,000 watch, according to Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's former business partner. But uh, my point here is that in 2009, and these are all public disclosures because Biden's been in office this entire time, his net worth was $27,000. By November 2020, Joe Biden was worth $9 million. How? I'm asking. That's, a, that's pretty quick in 11 years for a guy whose salary essentially didn't go up that much while he was vice president. Perhaps there was some other stuff at play. So this is where the interview uh, with Tucker, uh, excuse me, Art, Tucker had with uh, with Devin Archer got a little bit interesting. So um, so here's uh, Archer. First of all, says it's categorically false to say that Joe didn't know about Hunter's business deals. And here's what he says, or here's how he says it. I do believe that you know at the end of the day, Burisma wouldn't have stayed in business so long. Uh, you know if. Are, you know, oh, excuse me. One second. This one. The reaction to what you've said in public, to what you said to the committee mm -hmm. on the Hill, um, and doubtless to what you're, you've been telling us in this interview, is that, like, there's no corruption here at all. This is totally normal. Joe Biden had no role whatsoever in, uh, in his son's business or knowledge of it. But right. How would, I mean, that seems false. Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, that, that's, that's categorically false. I think that what, what the... He was aware of Hunter's business. He met with Hunter's business partners. He, I mean, you found a letter that, that illustrates that he knew me. And why would he be doing all this? Just to help out old Hunter? Or maybe it's because he wanted to go from being worth 25000 to being worth $9 million. Don't for a minute think anybody who thinks that this was just Joe being a nice guy is crazy. So what did this all consist of? Constant pressure on Hunter to use influence by Burisma, other companies as well, 
Burisma's just in the crosshairs because it's the FBI informant that came forward whose file was buried by the FBI is the one linking up information from the head of Burisma claiming that uh, they essentially paid off Joe Biden. So here's, you know, here is the idea of what all of this, you know, how this all came about. It was very clear that the Burisma guys were hoping to leverage Hunter's relationship with the vice president, his father. Yes. At one point, they told Hunter to, quote, call his dad. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think referencing the email that you you put earlier, there was constant pressure to send signals um, to leverage all of his, ins- you know, his dad included, but the Biden brand, all of the, you know, the 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 DC insider and relationships to help Burisma survive. I think that's the, you know, at the end of the day, what we're talking about. And to understand what this influence means, right, to those of us who are not in Washington, D.C., not familiar with how this works. Um, let me just let me just play this clip here because Archer explains it really well. The idea of signals and influence, the prize is enough in, in speaking or hearing or knowing that you have that proximity to power. No one is so unsophisticated that's been in politics for 50 years right. that Hunter is going to talk about, you know, uh, the last quarter's... Uh, how many billion cubic meters of gas we pumped out of the ground. So it's just, I think a lot of the narrative gets caught up on, you know, uh, you know, over speculation of these conspiracy theories that are just not true. I think that's not the way it actually works. It just doesn't work like that. Yeah. So the idea, it's laughable that, that the meetings were arranged or the, the conversations with, with Joe Biden were arranged to talk about the weather. Oh, what entree are you having? Oh, look at that. And even if certain meetings were that innocuous, there is no doubt that the implication of those meetings was crystal clear. That, you know, that was well aware, I mean, obvious to everybody in the room that what they were buying by paying all this money to Hunter and to Archer was the proximity he calls it proximity to power and so th- this 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 is what it was all about now speaking of the meeting they talk about one of the Burisma honchos uh, meeting Joe at Cafe Milano which is one of the dinners talked about this is um, this is a, a, a very specific moment where there was a, a call to talk a specific request to talk to Joe Biden. When they asked him to call his dad, did he? Um, he, I was not privy to the conversation directly, but they've asked, you know, that was, you know, Vadim met with his dad at, at uh, dinner, at dinner at Cafe Milano, a famous dinner at Cafe Milano. Um, so, you know, I, I did not listen to a particular call where they spoke, but I know that the request was made by Vadim a lot. A lot. You bet. And why could he ask? Well, he was paying them millions of dollars, one. Two, he was giving them expensive, you know, $100,000 watches for their birthday presents. This was pay to play. And this entire time, it's a foreign company. It's got ties to a foreign government. All these people, including Archer himself, ought to have been registered at the very least. 
they should have been registered as as foreign agents, right, and operating here, uh, uh, you know, influencing politics and policy at home, representing foreign companies. That should have been done. So this, by the way, he also mentions how, well, they got what they paid for. Archer says, I do believe that, you know, at the end of the day, Burisma wouldn't have stayed in business for as long as it did if Hunter was not on the board. And Tucker Carlson goes, yeah, so they got, they got some money back, huh? And Archer goes, yeah, I, I think they, they got themselves some years. And this was, I mean, this, this now. So the question, right, the question in all of this is, it's starting to get documented. Today, Republicans, today, I just saw that uh, Kevin McCarthy is demanding Joe Biden's financial records. And I, I will predict, friends, that these financial records, records will not be turned over anytime uh, too quickly by Joe Biden. There's no doubt he does not want anyone to see his bank accounts on this. And I, I think one of the easiest, I'm saying this as a lawyer, one of the easiest crimes to prove is a financial crime. Because you can trace sourcing of funds no matter how convoluted there's a path, right? If you're at Z, you can just work your way back all the way to A uh, because there's a paper trail. There's a digital cookie trail, you know, leading from one payment and, and transaction to the next. All right. Don't go anywhere. Sam Rojofsky, News Talk 840 KXMT. I'll be back in just a few minutes. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Sam Rajofsky here, host of the What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, because you deserve what's right. Please reach me if you'd like uh, anytime during the program or before or after the show. Sam at samandashlaw.com is my email. Now, speaking of news that is a little off the beaten path, but something that you may be aware of happening and it's legal news, and I have some opinions about this as a as an injury lawyer. So I want to share this with you. This uh, you probably have heard of lawyers out there, and these people, by the way, are some of the most despicable lawyers on the planet. These lawyers go out and recruit plaintiffs for the purposes of then suing small businesses over ADA violations. You heard of this? Back in the day, like, you know, 20 years ago, it was, you'd show up and and uh, you'd get a, you'd get, get a, a plaintiff, uh, find somebody who was in a wheelchair and you'd go to a small business somewhere and, and, and show that it was not accessible and take a photo of it and then threaten the, the business with the $10,000, basically a settlement or else, you know, this would turn into a two, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar uh, proceeding against them. A total scam shakedown. I've never done one of these cases. I would never touch this. This is why my firm and I am different than some of these scumbags. All right. But where am I going with this? So, the latest and greatest thing are. Uh, Disabled, you know, ADA compliant websites. 
And there's a case that is working its way up to the Supreme Court called Atchison Hotels versus Lawfer. And it's an appeal, right? The original plaintiff is a lady named Deborah Lawfer. Now, she has difficulty walking without assistance. She's also vision impaired. I guess maybe not fully blind, but somewhat blind. And she went to this hotel, a particular inn in Maine, in the state of Maine. And she went on their website. Because I think this lady lives somewhere totally different. She lives in Florida. But she goes to this website and claims that it didn't have, you know, it wasn't disabled, uh, disabled, uh, you know, accessible. And, you know, and, and then filed the lawsuit. Now, the reason that she um, did this case is because there's a lawyer behind it. And the lawyer um, is Tristan Gillespie. He filed multiple claims on behalf of Mrs. Lawfer. So he's using this lady as a kind of a straw uh, 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 plaintiff, if you will. And he sends her around. He says, okay, well, go check out this website. And he probably sends her these websites or these businesses to Target, and he has it all lined up. Now, this lawyer's in a world of hurt. This this case uh, has now uh, been appealed all the way to the Supreme Court. And what's what now, it looks like they might be losing this case. What the, I guess, Mrs. Lawfer and her attorney are trying to do is dismiss their case altogether and make it moot. Now, so one... Let me explain that for you guys uh, really quickly. A case in order to be heard by the Supreme Court, there's a couple of things, a few things, right? There needs to be a constitutional question, right? Uh, or also, there, also it needs to be an actual uh, controversy that is ongoing. So, the, the so here, if if the case itself is dismissed and they say, okay, well, they're they're bowing out of it. By the way, this lawyer is getting disciplined by the state bar in his state. He may have even already had his license yanked. So this lady's basically saying, well, I, I'm out. I'm out. I'm dropping my case. There no longer is a controversy. And the Supreme Court uh, may be fighting to keep it on the grounds that there will be future people that come along and try to do the same thing. And that two different circuit court of appeals have ruled in opposite ways. So you have a split circuit decision, and the Supreme Court's going to come in and clean this up, which I, of course, hope that they do. Now, why is this, why is this interesting? Um, f- first off, by the way, th- this Supreme Court, I have to tell you, th- they are getting stuff done. Things are happening at the court, and it is a big reminder that – if nothing else, uh, having four years of Donald Trump was incredibly vital for the establishment of a not just a conservative court, but a common sense court, a constitutional court. Now, the other reason why this is is fascinating is um, is that um, you know I, I I think for me personally, professionally, right, personally and professionally, this story just highlights why people rightfully, so many of of you out there rightfully despise lawyers, particularly uh, personal injury plaintiff's lawyers. And it goes to, here's, well, here's how the Wall Street Journal um, describes her. She, um, 
Mrs. Lawfer, as described in case briefs, is a self-appointed ADA tester. Over the years, she has filed hundreds of cookie-cutter federal ADA suits against hotels and their owners over disability information on their websites. It says that she lives in Florida, may never even set foot on these properties. She does this all basically from her couch. And... Um, and the, the boilerplate lawsuits are all filed by one lawyer. They all are, they're all the same. They have, apparently, all the different suits have the same spelling mistakes, have the same punctuation errors. That you know, it's literally, they're just, they're just changing the name of the plaintiff, changing the name of the defendant in the caption and throughout the, uh, the allegations that are asserted. They get filed and the business that they target oftentimes goes, hey, I can't fight this. I don't want to, I don't have, I can't, pursue this case all the way through federal court and so they settle and it's incredibly lucrative by the way he's asking for what i read here was a ten thousand dollars in attorney's fees plus damages uh for this lady who uh, I, I guess this, the website didn't have disability information for her even though she's homebound not looking to travel anywhere fascinating stuff um $10,000 for the lawyer, probably some amount of money. It's not clear to me what to the plaintiff, but my guess would be another ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 to the plaintiff. So the, the issue here is that, um, you know, that, that I really hope that this case goes all the way through, that the Supreme Court doesn't bar it on this basis. Um, now, mootness, I should point this out. There was, um, if you remember, New York had a very restrictive gun law back in 2020. This court uh, agreed to, to, the, to hear a challenge on the city's restrictive gun law. And the city then, right, New York City then decided to repeal the law. So now it, it, was, it was moot because the law was gone. It was dead. And, you know, and, and then they pled mootness and got the court to dismiss it. The a majority of the justices, by the way, bought it. And, and allowed the case to get dismissed. But Justices Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, uh, Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, and Neil Gorsuch all noted in dissent, and this was their quote, by incorrectly dismissing the case's moot, the court permits our docket to be manipulated in a way that should not be countenanced. The fancy way of saying, yeah, New York's just gonna, other, New York's just gonna change the law up and come back and, and do it all over again, forcing the next round of plaintiffs to go through the entire same exercise again. So for the sake of decency in this country, and uh, because I really loathe injury lawyers that do this kind of thing, I, I just find it absolutely foul. I hope that Mrs. Lawfer and her uh, and her awful, awful attorney uh, get booted by the court and that we have definitive case law in this country that kind of cuts the uh, some of the teeth off this this ADA stuff. It's, it's out of control. And these built-in civil cases, this is what the Democrats, you know, gave to the trial lawyers. They put that in there. Trust me, I'm, uh, I'm letting you know. They, they, they put all this, these civil damages in there for trial lawyers to then be able to go and, 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 and make money off of enforcing federal law in the civil court system and bankrupting private small businesses. 
How's that for common sense from a PI lawyer here in Las Vegas, huh? All right, Sam Marjofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. Don't go anywhere, folks. I still have uh, lots of stuff in my stack here to go over. Don't go anywhere. Back in a moment. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. Well, I know everybody saw the Mitch McConnell freeze-up. I get that. Uh, But, you know, I think... There's more to it than just that particular moment. Sam Marchofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. I have mixed feelings about Mitch McConnell. Uh, We here on the What's Right Show, we are common sense conservatives. So, is there a lot of good that Mitch McConnell has done? Yes. Okay, he's a master of procedure in the Senate. You cannot discount that. I, however, do not belong in the group of Republicans that heap praise on Mitch McConnell because I am done, finished, over, completely disgusted by the go-along, get-along Republicans in Congress. It's not the time. Democrats are going scorched earth. McConnell is... For me, a representative of that very complacent country club Republican type of politician that goes in and, uh, well, probably likely lines his pocket, makes makes uh, has a great life, makes friends, doesn't rock the boat too much, puts his foot down when he needs to once in a while, but uh, for the most part, not very effective at pushing conservatism. In Congress. So, anyway, here is uh, there's a fancy farm picnic, a campaign event that Mitch McConnell goes to on Saturday. No doubt you've heard it did not go as planned. I'm glad Governor Bashir finally decided to come to Fancy Farm. It's been the first Saturday in August for 143 years. But Andy only seems to make time for you all when he's staring down Election Day. Yeah, well, Andy Bashir's the uh, Democrat uh, governor of Kentucky. Um, now, here's – I've heard different things. These are not Trump – these are Democratic operatives that showed up to crash uh, Mitch McConnell's speech, okay? And they got exactly what they, what they wanted, okay? But then uh, there's a second bit of the cheer. This was uh, uh, later in the event. Listen to this. And may well be running, might as well be running for mayor of San Francisco. <laughs> okay, lost the Senate. That's what's going on. Lost the Senate. You know, I want to say this. I know, I, look, I think it's mostly Democrats yelling this. Okay, lost the Senate. They're, they're, they're agitating against him. But here's the thing. I, I, Republicans in the last several midterm and even midterm cycles in particular have failed to nationalize and coalesce you know behind a national republican brand and policy platform that would push less palatable republicans over the edge 
Let me give you an example. If there had been in 22 a contract with America, if Mitch McConnell was charismatic and was, you know, was one that could motivate Republicans to show up and vote, which he does not do. Trust me, nobody gets excited for Mitch McConnell. Could someone like, I don't know, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, could he have won over the Adams family doppelganger? You know, no brain Fetterman. I think so. I think there was a chance of that. Other races as well were relatively close, meaning Republicans would go to the polls not particularly enthused about Oz, but more more excited with a vision toward what a Republican Senate could achieve policy-wise, ideas-wise. Mitch McConnell might be the master parliamentarian, and I appreciate every Republican commentator that defends him on those terms, fine and dandy. But he's not going to give he's not going to give Republicans in Ohio or Republicans in Pennsylvania or Republicans in Florida that little bit of extra oomph to go and get across the finish line, go up and vote and, and show up for a candidate that they're a little lukewarm on. And that's the failing. Does that make sense? That's my Mitch McConnell criticism, if you will, right? So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm him. Now, now, of course, you know, Chris Christie, did you see this last week? Was it last week? He went, he went to Ukraine and the pictures of him in Ukraine are, folks, this is radio. I, you know, I joke about Chris Christie being a big man, but he's not big. He's huge. He's bigger. Remember his peak weight when he took that photo of him, embarrassing photo on the um, New Jersey, the boardwalk there. And he's eating an ice cream cone. I, I, I believe it was a large ice cream cone. You and I would have considered it a large cone. But this poor cone looked like a, like a little mini clown cone compared to, you know, compared to the person eating it. So Trump, oh my gosh, Trump, this is, where was this? This was in Wyndham. Yeah, it's New Hampshire. Campaign appearance. Uh, somebody yelled out that Chris Christie's a fat pig. Here's Trump uh, making light of it. He's, he's eating right now. He can't be bothered. <laughs> Sir, please do not call him a fat pig. That's very disrespectful. Don't call him. See, I'm, I'm trying to be nice. Don't call him a fat pig. Yeah, well, remember DeSantis got on him for his, his name calling? I said it's just not professional. It's not, it's not, well, yeah, so I mean, this is classic Trump tongue in cheek. He, he's taking and he's literally taking a swipe at two of his opponents in the primary in one long run on sentence. And it's, and do I think it's funny? Yes, I think it's funny. Um, not everybody thinks it's funny. Certainly not people like my wife who are, very kind and decent and um, don't think we should be making fun of people based on their looks. Uh, by the way, Pence, you see this? Pence got, got lost admitting something that he previously denied. He denied it as recently as talking to the FBI agents investigating the January the 6th matter, and his denial ended up being in the indictment against Trump, particularly his ability to overturn the electors. 
on January 6th. Listen to this exchange here. Uh, just uh, tell me what you think. It wasn't just that they asked for a pause. Uh, the president uh, specifically asked me and his gaggle of, uh, of crackpot lawyers asked me to literally reject votes, to, which would have resulted in, uh, in the issue being turned over to the House of Representatives and literally chaos would have ensued. Oh, okay. So he could have left it to the House of Representatives, to Congress, technically. He, he could have done that. Oh, so one of the things that uh, perplexed me, because by the way, he denied that, and that's one of the things he is cited on in, 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 as evidence that Donald Trump knew that he'd lost the election and yet persisted with his claims to the contrary. It is given as dispositive proof of that that his own vice president told him that he could not change the outcome of the election. He had to go with what the electors brought. Now, the truth... Truth, the truth is, is that the purpose of the electoral college has become largely, uh, uh, you know, symbolic, right? And and it's, but, but it has a purpose, and the one of the purposes there has always been to ensure that if there's any, who can who by every election, even national elections for for president and such, are conducted where at state level. And so the electors come and present themselves to the Capitol, and it's up to then the, 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 the government, the, particularly the, the vice president, to ensure and confirm that everything was above board. Now, whether Pence believed that he actually had enough to go on to cancel any votes, he probably believed that he didn't, okay? But his denial that he couldn't do anything about it um, – I, I think now he's say, changing his tune on that a little bit, and it's just an interesting observation. Anyway, folks, I'll be back here tomorrow. We'll have a full two hours uninterrupted, I promise you. We'll get the technology working and everything um, up to par as you deserve. Uh, but in the meantime, have a wonderful rest of your day. A little bit cooler today. Enjoy it out there. And I, Sam Rajovsky in the What's Right Show, will be back mañana.